happening live around the world to our viewers in the United States and around the world. We'd like to welcome you to the Education Technology Situation Room, the EdTech Situation Room. It's June 22nd, 2016. This is Wes Fryer broadcasting from a high bandwidth but poorly lit Airbnb in Austin, Texas, joined as I am every week by the amazing Jason Neifer, who is outside in his beautiful Missoula, Montana backyard. Jason, how are you tonight? Good evening, Wes. I am well. Uh, the weather is absolutely beautiful in Missoula, Montana tonight, so I'm looking forward to spending a little time in the sun talking with you about educational technology news. Awesome. And for the record, last week, or what? it wasn't last week, it was a few weeks ago, whenever we did our last show, uh, I sounded like the rudest guest who stepped over Jason and just totally ignored him in the replay. But and and I that may have actually happened some hopefully not but we're suspecting that his Chromebook was to blame, so it did not sound that way in the actual live show but but the recording did and we are continuing to use Blab which has been a fantastic platform for us and hat tip to Peggy George our most dedicated viewer and uh, we need to to come up with something special I think Jason to to send Peggy so maybe we can come up with a, a special ISTE you know, Denver little swag or something. Cause she's, she has been here more than any, but anyway, we're, we're hopeful that that will, will help. So Jason, do you want to kick it off for the record? Also, I want to say that I have read all the articles that Jason has posted. So hopefully I will sound slightly more intelligent than I have in the past when it comes to talking about his articles. So we obviously WWDC, the worldwide developer conference for Apple start or happened since our last show and definitely a bunch of things that we can, we can talk about there, but uh, do you want to get us kicked off with one of your articles, Jason? Sure. Let's start here. Um, I would say probably the most uh, important story in ed tech probably for the next couple of weeks will be the fact that the um, ISTE conference, the international technology conference for uh, K through higher education educators is happening in Denver starting on Sunday, um, and both Wes and I will be in attendance this year. And for those of you that have never attended ISTE before, and I know when it comes to, um, you know, kind of uh, Rocky Mountain Western locations, Denver uh, was this year, it was also in 2000. It tends to get a lot of folks that may not attend an ISTE conference because of the expense of going to San Diego or Atlanta or Philadelphia. And so uh, for those of you that are maybe first-time ISTE attendees, I thought maybe we could share a little bit of advice on how to deal with um, the mass that is ISTE. So Wes, what would be your top tips for those attending ISTE for the first time? Well, ISTE is really a unique and interesting experience. Um, Gary Steger calls it a boat show. He's rather cynical. Um, it's definitely very vendor influent. And I think, as I heard you mention a couple sessions ago or episodes ago, Jason, it uh, can be a different experience when you are a known technology buyer for your organization than if you're attending as a teacher. So this will be my first one to attend as a technology director. But what I put into our show notes, which for the record, you can access if you want to on edtechsr.com slash links, was number one, attend the Teach Meet. If you have heard of EdCamps, Teach Meets are a variant of that same unconference for teachers that I understand started in England. And uh, basically different from an ed camp, ed camps, you brainstorm sessions and then just go to those, you know, different, you know, 45 minute, whatever hour sessions. Uh, teach meets are a little more pre-planned where the attendees are going to say, hey, I want to talk about this and that. But it's almost like a mini keynote today at iPad Palooza here in Eanes ISD in Austin, Texas. We had a series about, I think, 10 of us that did mini keynotes, and they were just short, in this case, four-minute, you know, little snapshots of, an, of a single idea. And te teach meets basically lower the bar for teachers to share, but they're not – it's not a fractured experience where you have all these different breakouts. It's kind of one room, and then everybody is together. So – um, anyway, I got to, to jump in on the, the end of the Teach Meet last year at ISTE, which was pretty awesome. I'll actually be attending the PBS Digital Learning Summit that is the same day. It's on Sunday, but it is free and it's awesome. So I'd say attend the Teach Meet, but if you can't, uh, you know, if you're going to be there Sunday, um, hang out in the Bloggers Cafe. And you know, things have changed in the edge of blogosphere in many different ways. But for me, 
the best connections at any conference are, you know, the individual opportunities to talk to folks and just get to know people uh, a little bit deeper. I, I do enjoy going to sessions and things like that, but I would say, you know, hang out at the bloggers cafe. Uh, and also, I guess during the keynotes, if, if you don't want to or can't get in, there are different uh, venues where they have them live streamed. And so different, you know, kind of corners and places where they've got flat screens set up. So I didn't put that one in the show notes. And then the last one was to watch the Ignite sessions before the keynotes. And a few years ago, ISTE started to do this. And an Ignite is typically uh, a 15, it's a, it's a canned format. So it's like 15 slides, 15 seconds per slide. And then you have a, a general topic, but the Ignite speakers are selected later than the typical ISTE rotation. And they tend to just be awesome. And it's a cool way to, to hear people talk about topics they're passionate about. And it, uh, you know, I, I really, Carl Hooker is the, is the godfather of iPad Palooza. And last year they did the mini keynote, um, method for for the opener and we had a conference in tulsa this past february for administrators o-m-l-e-a i think was the name of it they did the same thing where they had about oh eight or so educators that just shared short little you know ted style but very short presentations so that's my updates i did three i sound like a lawyer i said too many but now it's your turn, Jason. What, what do you say for ISTE attendees? Sure. Well, first and foremost, understand that it is overwhelming, and you should be overwhelmed by it because there's usually you know well north of twenty thousand uh, attendees there, plus another ten thousand folks that are um, either vendors or invitees, speakers, and that's that's a massive. Um, that's a massive number of folks. And my guess is, is that, you know, unless you go to some of the super large curriculum conferences, um, that you won't ever go to a larger conference than ISTE. And so a couple things from, from my times there. First and foremost, West has really great advice. Don't feel like you need to go sit in the, uh, um, in the uh, keynote auditorium. You oftentimes have to stand in line for that. Um, the first time I tried to get into one of those, I actually missed a session to get in line early enough to get in the room. And I found out later, and I'll be attending with, with kind of my, my partner in crime, Mike Agustinelli, um, uh, uh, next week. And we discovered in Atlanta two years ago that it's actually better to go find one of those little alcoves that Wes talks about. Oftentimes you can find other people like yourself to hang out with and talk about talk with uh, a keynote. Um, you can oftentimes, if the keynote for whatever reason is in your bag, and it's by the way totally okay to be. Um, you know, not all the keynotes speak to all folks. You could probably find someone that's more interesting to talk to. Uh, you can find power. Um, you can uh, uh, take an opportunity to share. Uh, you know, your power strip with someone else. It's a good way to introduce yourself to others, and and more importantly, um, you know, you can really make connections that will last well beyond the conference. Uh, my second piece of advice is you need to be prepared to be roughed out, so wear good shoes. Uh, uh, the Denver Convention Center is actually a little more reasonable than some of the other convention centers I've been to in regards to ISTE. The San Diego one is amazing but huge. Atlanta is amazing but huge. Expect to do some walking. I will be wearing my trusty Fitbit um, in Denver, so I'm pretty sure I'll probably get well north of fifteen to 20,000 steps each day. Be prepared for that. And If you're not used to walking 10,000 plus steps a day, then bring very comfortable shoes and be acknowledging of that. Uh, next, bring equipment with you. Um, and what I mean by that is you're going to want a cell phone charger. And I always bring with me at least a cell phone charger that has extra uh, extra slots on it. Or I also have a little block uh, charger that, that Belkin makes. Uh, it's listed as a recommended Christmas gift on my blog at blogncc.org. Um, it's got two cell phone charger things in it and three outlets. I've made more friends walking up somewhere and saying, can I provide some extra outlets for you, sir? Um, and and, and uh, doing that. As, as part of your, your time there. Um, and the last thing is um, be aware that a lot of times you can get access to the materials without actually going to a session. If you choose between four or five sessions of which uh, some of them are, 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 you know, are more priority to you, see if you can find copies of the slides, the handouts, uh, tweets from sessions, um, that you can't get to because you can probably get some of the pertinent materials and maybe even catch up with the presenter later at the conference um, and and be able to connect with them at, at on a more personal level. I think that's an important piece of that too. Um, and then I'd add one other thing. It's really easy to become cynical about vendors at, at this conference. And um, Wes, I don't know if you were at the 2006 uh, San Diego ISTE. The reason why I remember that one is my first one, and you may remember that that year at Best Buy – 
Yeah, I didn't go to that one. Uh, yeah, you missed out on, on a phenomenon that I'll never forget. Um, Best Buy uh, kind of won the Swag Wars that year because they had these ginormous, uh, like literally like tall, like as tall as people bags, like tote bags that they would uh, give out to folks. And I, I just remember this. It's the most vivid image in my mind of that conference. Um, there was a woman that filled her bag with stuff which is easy to do on the vendor floor and was trying to drag it down a hall. And the bag really wasn't built to hold more than 20 or 25 pounds. And so this bag is kind of disintegrating with all the pencils and, uh, you know, USB chargers and highlighters and, and post-it notepads. Um, don't be that person, right? Uh, you know, I, I, I get the temptation of the swag, but be selective. But if you are going to go to Swagtastic, um, I have a friend uh, that, that is a principal in Montana. Whenever he goes to conferences with the superintendent, they do a, a pen competition. Who can collect the most pens by the end of the uh, conference? His record is several thousand. So, um, again, you know, pick and choose. If you're going to do it, go all in would be my advice there. Wow. So, and of course I'll be at the conference. Wes will be at the conference. Um, you know, introduce yourself, uh, say hi. Um, we'll both be working hard to make connections there, but, uh, if you happen to be someone to listen to this and we've never met before, please introduce yourself. Yes. And in this year, again, I spent a year, uh, but I have a poster session this year on, on, uh, Show with media, you know, what do you, what do you want to create today? And this is the second time I've done a, a poster session. And I'll tell you, that was my absolute favorite thing. And going to poster sessions, you know, it's just a chance to visit with folks. Basically, you have kind of your elevator speech or pitch ready to share with folks. Um, for the record, I just had the local print shop call me today and I, I gave him my, my credit card number. My son is picking up. We're, we're flying out of Austin on Friday, get home to Oklahoma city at 11, hopefully going to wash some clothes and then hop in the car Saturday morning to drive. And thankfully our son is 18. He will be driving perhaps the first leg, but anyway, I got to pick up the poster. So it's a little bit old school, but Hey, posters and, and we've got QR codes, but that was something that was really good to scan. It's just a chance to visit and they get to talk about, you know, an idea, a project, something that, that's significant. So I want to do a shout out. Oh, shoot. We just lost her. I was going to do a shout out. We had we had a guest um, who was on here. Peggy, you're still with us, though. That's awesome. Uh, and so, yes, Peggy, we'll try to get somebody to do a little streaming on Periscope. Or maybe we'll try Facebook Live or YouTube Live. I haven't actually done Facebook Live or YouTube Live yet. Um, but Peggy put into the chat here, and those of you listening to this via an, an audio or the video archive won't necessarily get this, that there is a great hashtag to follow, which is not at ISTE16, hashtag not at ISTE16, because lots of people, I mean, it is it is ridiculous how much it costs, especially for hotels. We are doing an Airbnb walking distance from the ballpark that is like 750 for two rooms for six nights. That's unbelievable because rooms are typically like over 300 wow. a night. Uh, and our yeah. whole, our whole family is going to go all of our, our three kids. So anyway, follow that hashtag uh, that Peggy shared, not at SD16. Um, I'll also put it in the show notes, but Peggy put the link into the Google group for not at ISTE. So that is, that is awesome. And, um, you know, because oftentimes ISTE sessions are more what I would call awareness sessions. It's like, here's this, here's this, check this out. It's not as much the, Hey, let's make this, let's, let's actually create it. And so in that vein, you know, sometimes you can get just as much following a hashtag as you can or more, you know, being there. Although of course it's wonderful to be there and it's, it's, I'm not saying I don't value and, and appreciate face to face. I totally do, but that's good. And then Peggy is going to also be helping to curate some content with Live Binder. And she is a Yoda of the Live Binders with Live, with Classroom 2.0 Live. If you don't follow that wonderful web show on uh, Saturday mornings. And so, you know, it's, Isti's a unique, unique animal, but that is, that's awesome advice. Jason, I gotta, I gotta ask you, how do you get over 10,000 steps a day? Do you, are you going out and walking seriously though, to answer phone calls or yeah. how, how do you get that much walking time? Cause that, that's a lot. I, I have that as my goal, but I don't reach it every day. Right. Well, my, my high days are, are, are 20 plus. So, 
Um, that's, and my, my highest day is 32, although I, I kind of uh, walked like a freak that day. But, um, on a day that I'm hitting more than 15, it's a combination of, 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 of three or four different things. First, I walk to work or take the bus and walk to work partially. That's a three mile walk from my house. It's a commitment to do it, but it is a nice time to clear my head in the morning and to kind of listen to podcasts and, uh, do that. Uh, second, it's walking at lunch and I can oftentimes get two to three miles in at lunch. Um, and especially when it's cooler outside and, and, uh, the air is nice and crisp. It's a nice walk. Third, it's walking during conference calls. Um, there are days when, when I have an hour or two of calls where I can get 10 to 12,000 of those steps just walking around and, and I think can speak a lot better in my feet. Um, anyways, and then, um, it's also, it's, it's smaller, but, you know, making choices to park at the end of a parking lot or going up and down every aisle of the grocery store or, um, you know, not being afraid to, uh, um, uh, park a great distance away when I don't need to. That's all part of it. But, uh, walking's a big part of my strategy. Uh, I feel like it, it's really good for my physical and mental health and, um, yeah, feels good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, that's an inspiration. And I, you know, there's a little technology twist. Kelly, my wife and I got to do our first joint mini keynote today at iPad Palooza. But few things make you feel more self-conscious and your, and, and, and personal awareness of exercise and the need to be fit, you know, than having people take selfies of you and, and pictures. Um, somehow they have an app amazing race and Carl Hooker claims he did not do it, but someone, this is a thing where you take lots of pictures of different things. And one of the challenges is, was to take a picture of Wes and bone with a uh, bunny ears behind him. And if he doesn't know it, you get bonus points. So I could hardly walk through the cafeteria and I'm very honored and humbled to be even here at this conference, uh, much less a, you know, point gaming task on the, the app amazing race. Anyway. So Shelly and I were looking at each other at the keynote going, let's be accountability partners to be more fit. Awesome. Anyway, that's good stuff. And that is definitely a good way. We, people talk about technology and it's robbing our, stealing our souls. And there's all kinds of sides to things. But encourage, people are different, as the Note to Self podcast about this indicated. Not everyone is, is motivated by metrics and, and competition. Yeah. But it's a good thing when we are encouraged to live healthy lifestyles. And that is something that, that we can all take a little bit from, I think, with our with our devices. So, um why did you put the more evidence of media disruption live stream uh, as a as an article this week, Jason? Sure. Well, there's a, a great article in our show notes um, from Recode. It's from today. And the reason why I mentioned this is because I kind of saw this unfolding today. Um, I was on Facebook for a while, lunchtime today. And I noticed that there were several live streams that were being shared by friends of mine. As it turns out, um, there was a sit-in today on the House floor of House Democrats related to um, uh, the, the gun control debate. And again, we don't we seek to avoid politics um, on this particular podcast. But um, the th- interesting thing that happened here was that C-SPAN, which of course is the you know channel of record for Congress, um, uh, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan decided today to uh, shut this, the C-SPAN cameras off for whatever reason, C-SPAN, you know, did do its best to highlight um, that that wasn't their decision, seeking to not get involved in the political ramifications of that. And sure enough, utilizing Periscope, Facebook Live Video, and other streaming platforms, several of the representatives, along with members of the Senate today, um, uh, started streaming themselves. And in fact, um, uh, many of them uh, streamed on Facebook, a relatively new technology, just a, a few months old, um, just out of beta for regular users. Um, and C-SPAN, and this blows my mind, decided to utilize one of those streams as their coverage of this event on the House floor today. So wow. Several okay. times C-SPAN... That- went to, I think it was Periscope, one of the Periscope streams, and used that as coverage of the house. And that's that's unbelievable. That's that's really um, extraordinary. And so, um, you know, I, we, we talk a lot about disruption on here. And disruption is, is about this close to becoming a, a kind of a, a, a hackneyed term. 
But come on. I mean, that's, you know, we talk about taking the, the, the media hands of elites. Here's a case where something that really is a public interest uh, service, C-SPAN, um, uh, isn't able to cover something. And again, I don't care about the political ramifications of that decision. What I do care about was that it did not matter because literally anyone sitting on the House floor with a cell phone could then broadcast worldwide utilizing Periscope or Facebook video. And I think it's just... Um, um, uh, amazing. Like that, this is a, a evidence of, of something big. You know, what this makes me think of is how fun it would be to co- teach. And Hey, Jason, maybe you and I should co-teach this. I don't know how this would work, but a course on, on citizen journalism, right? Uh, I've been involved with our story chasers nonprofit in Oklahoma since 2007 when we had our state centennial and that focused around digital storytelling. But this idea of empowering people to use media to share stories is extremely important. So I <laughs> I read the article, but I missed that part about C-SPAN actually taking the stream from Periscope Live and uh, highly disruptive, right? I mean, it's definitely something that even in our classrooms, if we're going to take the ed tech focus, which, by the way, on the ed tech situation room, that's what we do is we look at news and, and articles that are coming out about technology, but, but look through it an educational lens with them. You know, it's it's important to talk about Periscope, to talk about live streaming, to talk about what things we'd like to record and, and you have permission to record and what things you don't, you know, and how to appropriately share things. So, uh, I think that is a real, I don't know if it's a tipping point, but it seems to be a milestone when citizen journalism has, has reached that point. And I'll say one more thing. Last summer, Shelly had an opportunity as a PBS digital innovator to do a series of about five workshops around Oklahoma for PBS. And when we were in Tulsa, uh, we visited a museum and I had been there once before and we had some race riots in Tulsa that took place Oh gosh, I should know the dates. I want to say it was like 20s or 30s, but uh, it was crazy. There was this very prosperous part of Tulsa that um, black Americans, African-Americans um, lived in, and there was a lot of resentment. And there, there was an incident that was an alleged, uh, it wasn't a rape, it was like an alleged assault by a, a black elevator operator and a white woman, anyway, that led to race riots and even the alleged bombing of this area by National Guard aircraft. And this entire area of Tulsa just kind of got wiped off the map. And so there's a museum that's there. And I had a a visit with the executive director and talked about story chasers and things. And one of the ideas, this was when Ferguson was going down. And, you know, I personally think social media should be thanked in many cases for providing needed transparency to darkness that is existing in our society and happening and absent the documentation that's provided by video, usually we wouldn't know it wouldn't be, you know, seen. And, and so this happens sometimes with police incidents, sometimes with other things. Uh, and certainly if you are a police officer or married to a police officer connected to, to law enforcement, you know, you may have a different view of this. And, and I think as a teacher, of course, I'm glad that I don't have a body cam strapped to me at all times, you know, recording everything that I say or do. But we're kind of in that world where any student who has a device could have it out or could even surreptitiously be recording. And that 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 definitely has potential for disruption. But on the flip side, I think it can have real positive power to shine light on situations that frankly, shouldn't be secret. So um, are you doing anything with digital citizenship, Jason, in the, the courses you've taught pre-service or, 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 or in-service? Or what's, what's your take on digital citizenship? Or I didn't say, I didn't mean digital citizenship. I meant citizen journalism. Um, it, it was something we were approaching. I was the newspaper advisor uh, my last few years teaching at Capitalist School before I left the classroom to take my current position. And we were kind of focusing on that notion that that social media trumped um, our attempts to mimic traditional media in regards to how we serviced, uh, you know, a, a student body, 1600 plus a community that relied on, on that newspaper for school news. And I think that's, that's something that's a lesson that, 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 that can't be undersold at this point. Uh, I want to name drop, uh, make it sound like I know this guy, I don't, but I, I do want to uh, focus on one person who I'm sure is going to have some extraordinary things to say about, uh, the, the thing with C-SPAN today. Jeff Jarvis, who is a uh, professor of journalism, um, at, uh, City University of New York. 
and uh, focuses on entrepreneurial journalism as part of that process. I know him through his work as co-host of This Week in Google on the Twit Network, um, but he'll have something to say about this. But he focuses a lot on that notion of of, of entrepreneurial journalism, that, that in a world where the a journalistic world is being disrupted so substantially by new media, then part of your goal is to create, uh, you know, economic models that make sense in the way you want to tell stories. And that's where I think that today is, is so powerful um, uh, of a message that even those in, in, in power, these are members of the House of Representatives, these are people elected to Congress that felt like that they were being censored and found their own way around that to directly speak to the American people. And I think that that's a message that they can't be oversold. We have to uh, let people know that these avenues certainly exist. And I know I personally sometimes tire a little bit of, of, of a lot of the product of new media. Uh, everyone having a voice means that the voices become overwhelming at some point and not everyone has something interesting to say, as it turns out. Uh, we tend not to focus on that sometimes when we talk about the power of these technologies, but it, it's true. There, there are things that we could probably do without, and YouTube is, is full of examples of that, but that does not diminish the fact that in a world where we all have a mouthpiece and important stories can get told. And that's a message we have to roll out in classrooms and we have to let students experience for themselves. Absolutely. And I'll add one more thing to this. Uh, that is, we need to freakingly act like the democracy we are uh, here in Oklahoma right now. I mean, we have a, I don't know, possibly unprecedented budget crisis. We're sort of following Kansas, which is incredibly scary, where, you know, Tea Party politicians have made drastic tax cuts and not figured out how to fund schools. And they're in an we, we had 50 teachers or 40 teachers from Kansas come down on a bus without air conditioning to Austin for IPAP Palooza. And so I was visiting with some of them. Actually, I think most of them were from Lawrence um, that came on that bus. There's a bunch of others that, that came as well. But they were saying today they've got an emergency session that's about to start. You know, and if they don't figure out how to fund schools, because there's the Kansas Supreme Court has said the way you're trying to do this is unconstitutional. Literally, schools are going to stop. Has sent having paying power bills, shut down electricity to schools and stop paying teachers. Um, I met a teacher from Wichita today who's losing $8,000 from her job. Anyway, we're on that path in Oklahoma. The way in our legislature that the budget gets approved is the governor, I've been told, gets together with two other people. And then literally the last day of the session puts out the budget and there's no time to debate. Our representative in the, in the Oklahoma legislature came door to door and visited with, with my wife, Shelly, and I for about 30 minutes uh, last week, and we were talking about this. And I don't know, we definitely are sort of wringing our hands about ISIS, about you know terrorism, about all kinds of things happening. I think we have important roles to play as educators, empowering students to be participating citizens. You know, from Boy Scouts, we learn citizenship is both a right and it is a responsibility. Things go with, you know, citizenship in terms of participation. And so I just think we really ought to wrestle with this, not just wrestle with it. I mean, we, we need to do things and we need to be participating and we need to encourage our students to. And I know that's a fine line to walk in education. It can be a line fraught with controversy, especially if you're taking a particular position. But if your position is, is be active, be involved, amplify voices, help people be more educated you know, voters and more educated citizens, I really think that is a Mardi Gras float to be on. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Okay. Well, do we want to talk WWDC? I would say, you know, 50% of the articles we've got here are Apple. And I am certainly guilty of consuming in the last two weeks a large portion of uh, podcast content from WWDC. So uh, Jason dropped an article, Life Hacker, everything Apple announced at WD, uh, WWDC that actually matters. I watched about half the keynote on my uh, Apple TV and probably will watch the rest of it. But I guess I'll just uh, say in terms of that article, my votes for what matters the most um, would be three things. Number one, single sign-on for Apple TV. And that really isn't a school thing, but it's pretty irritating to have to have all these separate codes and full disclosure, uh, we don't cut the cable. I can't watch, you know, a lot of these shows. So thanks to my wonderful parents that live in Kansas, you know, that share their, their Cox cable internet. They don't do an IP address check. Yeah. So are they watching? I don't think so. If not, yeah, I'll be tuning in later going, they, they cut me off. 
But anyway, I can, uh, it's sort of like Netflix sharing, I guess, or, or Plex, right? My, my sister and brother-in-law in Kansas City on Google Fiber have crazy amounts of videos via their neighbor that, yeah, we watch. But anyway, um, single sign-on is a great thing. Personally, Swift Playgrounds is a way for folks to learn coding in the Swift language, which is the language of iOS, as well as, I guess, Apple Apple TV or TVOS. And then the third thing would be, and I put in a Apple support article for this, we can finally remove built-in apps or most of the built-in apps that we don't want on school devices or our own devices and have them off our screen. So when I'm provisioning school iPads, which we have about 77 on our mobile manager now, probably at least 10 or 15 of those are teacher devices that we've pushed apps to, but you know, somewhere around 50 or 60 apps. Uh, I just create a folder called other and then throw in, you know, maps, uh, probably uh, photo booth, although I'm sure kids are, are using that one and loving that one. Um, you know, uh, whatever stocks i mean you know the things that we're just probably not going to be be using so those would be my votes for things that matter for wwdc what what do you say about wwdc 2016 jason well i'd make two notes first uh no hardware announced which has surprised a lot of people um partially because there was a lot of rumor mills suggesting maybe a new macbook pro maybe a new form for the MacBook Pro with Retina, maybe new MacBooks that are not, uh, or MacBook Pros that are not Retina MacBooks, maybe with high-resolution screens. So that means that there will be a lot of hardware announced later this year, assuming that, that Apple has something to share with us. Um, but I would say the, the sleeper announcement that ha- has got some press coverage, but I think is going to turn to a big deal for all, is the fact that Siri can now talk to external apps. And you can download a Siri SDK kit as a developer, and you can plug your app directly into Siri. And I think this matters for two reasons. The first one is that, obviously, this gives Siri more um, Amazon Alexa-style integrations. Um, uh, Alexa now has over 1,200 uh, uh, new commands available to it because of its integration with third-party apps. Um, it, it's a big deal. Um, um, a lot of my nerd friends are starting to jump on to, to Alexa now as a home platform. Most of them will tell me that they feel it's a little ridiculous, but like it anyways. And I think that's a, that's a sign here. Some folks that would be, I think, late adopters that are still very tech savvy people that I know are not in on the, on, are all in on the Alexa. And I think that's an important piece here. And if Apple can capture part of that market, I think that would be quite extraordinary. But Siri is, um, Siri's fallen behind. And I, I'm, I'm not going to make a meaningful uh, comparison to Cortana because, you know, it's a one out of a thousand phones because uh, the Windows phone has been such a, 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 a non-start in the cell phone market. But if you compare Google Now to um, uh, Siri, I think Google Now is ahead of it right now. And, um, and part of what has helped that occur is that there is some minor connection to third-party apps. If Siri can connect with any application on an iPad or an iPhone or a desktop Mac, um, or and this is the part that I think is most interesting for schools, if Siri can can become smarter based on the apps that you download, and I'll, and I'll give you a very specific example of this. Um, uh, four or five years ago, when apps were first a reality um, in, in, in the uh, educational space, there was a time period where a lot of content apps are being developed, you know, like the presidents or national monuments or national parks from National Geographic. That Those are were all solid apps. They looked like they might be a potential for content. Some of them survived. Some of them did not. But the, the interesting thing in my piece is that wonder if that becomes a database from Siri to pull from that's not the open Internet. So as an example, this you download the president's the app, right? And that <laughs> Great becomes, sound effect, by the way. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm an experienced radio guy. But um, the um, the that app then becomes a source for Siri to pull from so that it gives you more authoritative content on a particular topic. So instead of, you know, asking Siri about Dolly Madison, which is a legitimate question, right? The open internet, I'm sure, has lots of interesting things about Dolly Madison, but that information is the open internet, 
right? So it requires a lot of evaluation. It requires uh, uh, some thought. It probably doesn't go into very deeply into things. But if you d- had, you know, the presidents and it provided a database for you to, um, you know, to plug into Siri, that suddenly becomes, um, you know, very, very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think uh, there's something very much there. Yep, and we've talked a lot about artificial intelligence. Your comment about experienced radio guy, though, makes me jump in my squirrel squirrel line to remember how at our last EdTech Year in Review, it was like a Montana university, Montana State University, asked us, hey, can we uh, utilize your show and rebroadcast on the radio? (laughs) Please be my accountability partner, and uh, I want to write to route SR to say, hey, we got a we got a regular show. So I think that back to, to AI, I, I've watched a number of movies um, about AI in the last six months or something. In in March when I went to Brazil, I think I watched one going down and coming back. And I think it's something that's not really necessarily touching our lives in the intimate way that it's going to. But you know, it's not just, hey, Watson won Jeopardy. I mean, it really, <laughs> the singularity and the whole talk about, who, who's the guy that talks about the singularity that works for Google? Ray Kurzweil. You know, that session, I don't know. I've felt, and probably other people, like with, with Ian Jukes and other futurists talking about it, like, oh, wow, that's the Jetsons. You know, that's going to be a long way away. I don't think so. I think it's a lot closer than than we imagine. So, seeing this competition between the corporations is really is really interesting. Um, but it's also at some point it's going to become more relevant to our lives because we're going to start relying upon algorithms to help us make decisions about things that we do in life. Let's think about cooking. My mom is definitely an early adopter techie. I mean, she's shopping on her Palm Pilot, you know, way before iPhone and, um, you know, has cooked amazing recipes for my dad from food bloggers in Israel and, you know, people in other parts of the world that absent technology, like they wouldn't have eaten that food. And, and what gets to be more personal impact your life to, we just ate this amazing nutritious dish tonight that, you know, we wouldn't have had absent technology. Well, um, the Cortana and, and, and those things right now seem a little simplistic. Hey, can you order a paper for me? But when it becomes an app, I dog on it now. I'm, it's, you know, what is it? I, I just, I, I think I put it on our family learning board. The very reason that I need a digital uh, information trap to be able to find these things. Okay, here we go. Oh, those potato skins. Uh, Supercook. Okay, I'll put it in the show notes. Supercook.com. It lets you say, hey, I've got these recipes in my fridge or my pantry. What can I make? And all these recipes. So, I mean, there's an AI um, application that, that will, you know, be able to smartly identify. Here, here's what Wes had in his pantry and fridge. Here are the amazing recipes. And by the way, I know that Wes and his family like Thai, but not too spicy and they don't like spaghetti. And I, I think those things are really kind of close. And so it's kind of, kind of exciting to think about. So it's, and, and Apple obviously has a different approach. You know, their, their approach has been, we're not going to be the creepy, you know, we're selling all your information to third parties, but yet we are divulging all kinds of information to Google, to Amazon, to, to, Apple. And so what are they going to, what are they going to do with it? Wes, have you seen Chef Watson from IBM? I have not. Um, I will put that in the show notes too. Chef Watson takes the Watson technology from IBM and exposes it to, uh, to cooking and comes up with artificial intelligence developed recipes that apparently um, some of them, some of them are, 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 are losers, but they feed in a lot of information about what goes together. And then Watson creates um, interesting uh, combinations related to that. And um, supposedly um, there are, there have been a lot of things that's created that have been quite unique. So um, I'll put that in the show. Same idea that taking big data, adding other things into that in order to make new knowledge, 
um, and maybe you know give some estimations about how things work for us as people. That that that's you know the promise of of these technology tools working together. Right, and I would add to to your comment as far as why Siri and the opening of Siri to developers is exciting. You know, Apple is a fairly has been traditionally a fairly closed company in terms of outside creativity. It wasn't until I listened to the Steve Jobs biography that I learned and I should have known this earlier, that Steve did not plan to open the app store to outside developers. He wanted inside Apple folks to design the apps. They were going to be beautiful and perfect. But yet what was it that really exploded and still continues to explode and and help people come to the iPhone? It's, It's iOS, which also the WWDC conference is their real time to court their developers. And it's a really important event in the, in the ecosystem and the annual cycle of Apple. So I think it's significant. They opened up maps to a degree. I mean, it's not total. It's not like they open source stuff, but I am excited and encouraged to see Apple do that because there is so much power and potential in crowdsourcing in allowing folks to, you know, take a tool, take an environment that, that has been created. And then what are you going to make with it? You know, what are you going to do with it? And so, and then the Swift playground, I mean, I'm involved in a local group called the div uh, and the div junior in Oklahoma city did a uh, scratch workshop here for scratch day uh, last month, I guess. Was that April? I don't remember May. I think it was in May. But, uh, you know, the, the whole focus is let's help kids learn coding. Let's not wait for the school to adopt curriculum, et cetera. Uh, going to do a Minecraft challenge day on July 15th. I'll recruit my two Minecrafting, two of my three Minecrafting kids to help with. And, and hey, don't we need to do something about app development? We had some Oklahoma State University professors at our school this, this year in um, April, I think, who are using app is the MIT program that lets, you know, students create apps and then immediately be on your Android device. And Apple doesn't have that and, and their philosophy is different. But I think that's really significant that they're opening up more. And I see that as an encouraging development in the Apple world. Yep. Uh, and, and by the way, one other thought that I've just mentioned, have we talked about the potential of Swift being adopted as the Android uh, developer platform of choice? I haven't heard about that. Wow. So that, that it was in early April and there's been a lot of hand wringing since then saying that maybe the rumors were overblown, but since Swift has been uh, open sourced as a tool, there was some conversation at some point because of the open source nature of the language that Google might be considering it as the development option for Android platforms, which of course would unify app development between the two major platforms in the world. But the reason why I mentioned that is because you saying that, you know, Apple has sort of opened up things. And they did take some flack because they didn't do the rumored opening of um, uh, of, me- of their um, um, their iMessage uh, platform to all platforms, like it had been uh, rumored on a number of blogs. But that piece is is interesting because you know Apple um, could could really win a lot of wars by if they end up being the programming language that develops or that that runs mobile. So. I'll tie on to that. that I heard in the keynote, I mean, it was an article, but I think it was that, you know, people can develop emojis. I didn't need the name of it. There's an emoticon app that kids use it. And actually, my, our assistant tech director uh, showed me that, that he's using that you can design your own emoji yourself situation. It's just really enhanced messaging. And so, but you can, people will be able to create, I guess, stickers without lots of coding skills and then submit those you know, into the system and have people actually purchase them. So that's a opportunity for Houston. Okay on your end or are things slowing down? Yeah. I don't know if my bandwidth or not. Huh. And I went poof. Okay. I don't know if it's, uh, I, you're, you're better now. We're on this, you know, shared bandwidth. So, um, okay. The other thing I was going to say, it's okay. Am I okay now? Yeah. If I could just turn your video off. So that's probably a good thing. You want to stop for a little bit? Sweet. Sorry. I was like, uh, sad. Um, you could is it, is it bad? You may have to talk. Hi, how you doing? 
<laughs> Jason Eifer here. Coming up next in the deck situation room, Wes comes back from Bandwidth Dead. But now, a word from our sponsor, Audible.com. And actually, we may yeah, we go down that road. Okay. Well, I listen to audiobooks all the time. Audible, you can contact me at addictsituationroom.com. Of the, the podcast that I listen to is, am I just sounding like a garbled fool? No, you're all better now. Okay. The Matcast. And the, uh, they, they've got to work with that sponsors their ads. So they handle the, the advertising. I don't know exactly how that, how that all works. So. All right. Well, you're still a little pixelated for me, so I'm guessing that, that it's it's mine. That Shelly is no longer to blame. Uh, we don't want to talk the rest of the time about Apple, but I but I'll yeah. just kind of I'll run down these hopefully without being garbled. Other things that I thought were significant besides what I already mentioned: universal clipboard. That means you can copy on your iPad or iPhone and then paste on your laptop. That's kind of cool. Part of that continuity thing that it all is one ecosystem. Um, Eddie Q said over thirty. 1,300 video apps on TV OS, uh, and there are 6,000 apps total. And it's about how we tell our story in the living rooms of America it is an important uh, topic. And that crosses over to digital citizenship, but also thinking about our schools, right? You know, we've had public cable access for schools in terms of being able to have this channel, and people would broadcast, our schools would broadcast their board meetings. It's the potential to how is that going to work in a multi-channel universe with Roku boxes and Apple TVs and, and other things? Um, Tim Cook's store launched eight years with 500 apps. Now there's over two million apps. That's a pretty amazing statistic. And um, yeah, then we've got the the stuff on on Siri and AI. And there's the link to Chef Watson. So. Very cool. I guess that, that probably exhausts my WWDC information. I am wearing, by the way, because I'm an iPad Palooza, my 2007 Macworld shirt. Because unbeknownst to me, when my cousin and I, Devin, <clears throat> we had talked about, hey, he works for a, a print shop in Wichita, Kansas. Wouldn't it be awesome to go to Macworld someday? And we did it. And that was the year that Jobs announced the iPhone. So we were there in the Macone Center, Maconi Center, however you say that. Fun stuff. And I to love to drink the apple kool-aid but at the same time you know we rolled out 111 chromebooks or we provisioned 111 chromebooks in two and a half hours and the most time consuming part of that is is basically setting up the power supplies on the carts uh because these are mobile carts and you can't do that with an ipad so i still love apple but there's nothing like chrome and chromebooks for cloud-based easy management all right, Jason, you want to take us to another article? Sure. Um, and to balance things out a little bit, um, maybe I'll jump to the Microsoft side of the world. Um, Microsoft announced last week, I think it was on the same day as, as, as the WWDC announcements, which is interesting, that they are purchasing um, LinkedIn, the uh, adult business, adult social network, made it sound like it's something dirty, the adult <laughs> business social network. Um, that, uh, I, I know that I, I wouldn't call it invaluable in my life, but I do certainly maintain connections both with vendors. And then I actually get uh, quite a few, uh, uh, um, headhunter calls based on that, which, um, is, is, is interesting that LinkedIn is used in that way. It's my understanding. It really is very critical, especially in technologically dominated, um, businesses, um, for folks looking for other jobs. But, uh, it, it, the way a lot of articles framed it was that it was a sign that there was life or growth in Microsoft. Of course, this comes on the heels of their disastrous purchase, uh, of, of the cell phone manufacturer, the name of which I cannot remember at this particular point. Um, What's the name of the cell phone company that they bought? Nokia. Nokia, thank you. Their Nokia purchase, which the vast majority of which had to be written off, and most of, of the, the business component of it was sold to others. See, I knew, I knew that because I read your article. So, you know, just yes. talk that one up for tonight. <laughs> it's funny that I didn't know that. But uh, that coming off their disastrous purchase of that particular uh, company and um, uh, almost no real impact on, on their cell phone business. But Nokia but, died after that, right? Wasn't yeah. that a death sentence for them? Yeah. I mean, that was that's, it that's, really was. 
Um, and so the thing, the thing that's interesting to me about this is obviously there's lots of, of, of angles to this and almost all the media I've seen on this has been pretty positive. This is a good sign for Microsoft. I have a very small concern that I think does relate to schools very, very closely, which is there is a purchase that, um, LinkedIn made last year that, that is very interesting. They bought the online video tutorial company, lynda.com last year. And oh Linda is a, a wonderful service. Um, it's something that I pay for personally out of my pocket. Um, we've actually been in some talks with Linda to utilize some of their content. They're very professionally produced content as part of my day job at the digital Academy in Montana. Um, the, the important piece of this though, is that I don't know where a high quality, um, you know, online video tutorial purveyor fits in the Microsoft model. And so I'm hoping that that service doesn't go away. I really feel like they've made a big inroads with schools and um, as content providers for, uh, uh, you know, real practical STEM related uh, content. And I would really hate to see for Linda to go away. Here's my answer to that. I believe the Microsoft of today and tomorrow is much like the Dell of today and tomorrow or the IBM of today and tomorrow, which is not the, the Dell or IBM of yesterday because both companies have really divergented themselves right. and, you know, are going to, to survive because they haven't you know, fallen into that innovator's dilemma. And I think Microsoft is a classic case of, of Clayton Christensen's innovator dilemma where you have some core products and business which are so successful that you are so scared to leave them that you're not able to innovate and reinvent yourself and you end up being left behind. Uh, think Kodak or, you know, Best Buy or other things. I don't know if Best I mean, you know, those are those are companies that uh, certainly in the case of Kodak that, you know, well ahead of their time, but just didn't, didn't innovate. And right. so I think that what's happening with Microsoft and these purchases, you know, when we had the purchase of Minecraft by Microsoft, the purchase yeah. of Skype by Microsoft, you know, both of those really show diversification and this LinkedIn really shows the diversification. I didn't know about that lynda.com purchase. Um, but on the sad side, hopefully they can overcome what happened with Lynda.com, right? Because I, or not with Lynda, with, with Nokia. What country is, was Nokia in? Is that like Sweden or? Norway, Sweden, Norway? Finland, yeah. somewhere yeah. in that general vicinity, yeah. I think it's maybe Finland. You know, incredibly innovative and even dominant yeah. uh, company and very, like, we're talking flagship of the country company. And then Microsoft buys them and they essentially die. Yeah, let me, well, and something we haven't really talked about on the show, but uh, this year was, or this last week was the one-year anniversary, so uh, Wes, as you know, because you followed me uh, through this process, um, one year ago, last Thursday, I received a kidney transplant, and it's something that... Um, it's a very long story. There's a Caring Bridge page somewhere if you want to hear it. But I had an undiagnosed childhood ailment, and about 11 years ago, uh, it was discovered by doctors, and my kidneys kind of slow did the slow uh, 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 death. And in spring 2014, I was diagnosed with end-stage renal failure. And after um, sharing my story with others, um, several people stepped forward, and ultimately a former student of mine um, um uh, gave me his kidney. So that was a, a fairly great and, and quite um, inspiring um, development in my life. But it was the one year anniversary of the transplant last Thursday. And this past Monday, I had my one year checkup at Virginia Mason and I have a completely healthy adult renal system. So wow, um, I'm very proud of. Um, obviously, I am quite thankful and humbled by the way things um uh, have played out here. And so, um, you know, I don't want this, this story to dominate my life because there's so many more interesting things than my health regarding it, but it's been a very amazing story that I am uh, quite proud of. So one year anniversary and I am, I'm quite well. So. Oh, awesome. Uh, shout out to Juan joining us from Barranquilla, Colombia. Bienvenidos de Montana y Austin, Texas. Yo puedo hablar español. I can talk a little Spanish, but I'll stop. Um, I will say today is my middle R, middle daughter's 16th birthday. And we had an opportunity to 
do a little iPad Palooza sing along. Uh, if you know Felix Giacomino, the godfather of Miami Device. In fact, Jason, you should come to Miami Device. It's not this year, but it'll be in November 2018, Boca Raton. Um, I could probably get you invited. I'll have to work on that with Felix tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he's a great, he's an elementary music teacher, uh, originally. And so he played the piano. My wife FaceTimed. And there we, you know, we had the uh, presenter group in the green room singing happy birthday to Sarah. So that was, that was fun. So, all right. Uh, well, I'll share a quick story about Spanish. I, I said, I, and I shared this today. Uh, I spent uh, 20, 1992 to 93 in Mexico city living in the Distrito Federal, the, the, the DF as it, as it is. And um, <coughs> things have caused me to be more aware of our need to switch off of fossil fuels and onto electric cars than living in what at the time was the most polluted city in the world. I don't know if Beijing or other locales have surpassed Mexico City, but there were probably only about two days living in downtown, and I lived in Blanco, which was a really, really nice uh, area in an apartment on like the seventh floor. And there are two beautiful volcanoes that are south of Mexico City, um, Popocatapetl and Ixtasihuatl, I think, they're like, uh, they're, uh, I don't know if those are Aztec names or Mayan names, but anyway, they're over 17,000 feet and I, you could only, there were like two days we could see them because the pollution was so bad. So to all the STEM educators out there, keep up the, the, the good fight. We need students to help us move beyond our fossil fuel bubble and into the next next generation. So what is your geek of the week this week, Jason? Well, I have a recommendation for those looking for keyboards and mice and uh, something that I ran into about a year ago because I had bought a, a cheap gaming mouse on Amazon when I was looking for something just to throw in my bag that I didn't mind losing because it was worth $12. And the last year I've absolutely fallen in love with gamer peripherals. And I now utilize a um, a mechanical key gamer keyboard as my main keyboard at work. I carry around gaming mice in my mobile bag, um, and pretty much 100% of my non-Mac peripherals are now um, gaming device, or I'm sorry, gaming uh, 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 quality keyboard. You can oftentimes get them cheaper than the super high-end keyboards and mice that are available from other vendors, and consider picking up, um, you know, maybe a, a sample gamer mouse, $15, $20 on, on eBay. You can go to Kinja Deals at Lifehacker, oftentimes get one for even cheaper than that. But they're usually very high quality made. They oftentimes include lots of extra buttons and gizmos that you can program to do nifty things with, with macros. And so my recommendation, try a gamer peripheral the next time you're looking for an input device. Cool. And for some reason, Jason, your audio is a little bit muffled there, and then it just cleared up. So I don't know some magical gremlins were happening, but you, you did clear up at the end. And we're almost done. So there, yeah, we don't know. When we do Skype calls for K-12 online, or this has been a while, but it was sometimes always mysterious about why. Sometimes, like, you were on a party line and we would hear somebody else. Weird things happen with tech. So my Geek of the Week is extremely geeky, and it's thanks to Critical Click, uh, Michael. And I'm not sure I can pronounce Michael's name right. Um, I'll give it a shot. It's opening up here in Twitter. It is a Jedi Master Robe. This is Michael uh, Lutgen, who is from Boca Raton, Florida. And so iPad Palooza has a Star Wars theme this year, and there are folks dressed up in different kinds of costumes. And so for a mere $50, you can have this amazing Obi-Wan. Well, sorry, I didn't put the link to the Obi-Wan. There is a, well, I guess it's a Kenobi costume. Anyway, look like a Jedi. Uh, you have to get your lightsaber separately. I don't know if that's in my future, but yes, we have many science fiction geeks. And for the record, if you have not listened to, I think, episode 12, you will learn about Jason Neifer's history with the Star Wars saga, which I will not reveal here, but I will only give you a teaser because you'll have to go back and listen to, to that, to hear that amazing fact. So, Jason, where can people find you online if they just need, as I'm sure everyone does, more Jason Neifer during the week? Yeah. A daily dose of the knife can be found at Twitter at, at, at Tech Savvy Teach. I also blog fairly regularly at the NCCE Tech Savvy Teacher blog, blog.ncc.org, where I serve as the tech 
at the tech savvy administrator in residence um, for the Northwest Council for Computer Education. And then, of course, my day job, I am the curriculum director and assistant director of the Montana Digital Academy, the state virtual school in Montana. And about U.S.? Primera vez voy a hablar a Juan, nuestro amigo en Colombia. Lo siento que estamos hablando muy rápido. Juan is saying we're talking very fast, but he's thinking this is real English. Juan, yo tengo unos amigos en Puerto Rico y también en uh, posible en la, la República Dominicana y ellos hablan muy rápido. So I've got some friends in Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. They speak very fast and have made me feel like I know zero Spanish. <laughs> so anyway, I think that's so cool that one's joining us from out of the country. So there you go. The, the, hey, the EdTech Situation Room is worldwide, and there's the proof. So thank you, Juan, for you made us global tonight, and we appreciate it. You can find me on Twitters, on the Twitters, at W Fryer. Uh, my wife and I are tweeting more uh at a uh, Twitter channel called uh, DigiShare, D-I-G-I-S-H-A-R-E. We got to do a co-keynote today about this digital sharing project that we are working on. Uh, my blog is Speed of Creativity, and I continue to be the director of technology at the Cassidy School in Oklahoma City. So we invite you. Oh, my wife is on. Honey, you're on the, you're on the blab. She's in the background there. She didn't realize that. Oops, there she is. Um, <laughs> she... Uh, uh, we both have uh, have sessions coming up uh, at uh, iPad Palooza, and then we'll be at ISTE. And looking forward to next week. We'll be live from Denver, and we are going to do some kind of giveaway. What we will not do is what our almost thirteen, now twelve year old did, and that was to do a YouTube giveaway to any viewer of her YouTube channel. It turned out to be Ireland, and I, did I say this before? It cost ninety three bucks to send the the coloring book, the colored pencils, and the you know thirty dollar USB headset to Ireland and we will not be shipping anywhere globally. So we'll have some kind <laughs> of constraints on that, but check us out edtechsr.com. subscribe anywhere. As Jason would say, finer podcasts are curated iTunes, Stitcher, um, pocket casts, other places like that. And we are the almost weekly show coming to you Wednesday night at nine central 8 PM mountain. And you can do the math for the other time zones. And we'd like to talk at tech news. So thank you guys for tuning in and we will see you next week from Denver, Colorado, when Jason and I will be together for the first time face to face. And we'll just have to figure out how that camera stuff's going to work. But I'm thinking we'll just be on one camera and uh, we'll do it that way. Thanks for listening to another amazing episode of the EdTech Situation Room with your hosts, Jason and Wes. Remember to subscribe to us on Twitter and Blab and access episode show notes on edtechsr.com slash links. Content on the EdTech Situation Room is shared under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4.0 International License. Subscribe to our audio podcast feed in your favorite mobile podcatcher app, and check out our archived show videos on YouTube. The EdTech Situation Room, where technology news meets educational analysis.